A FAM production. Furniture and mattress. FAM.news. Welcome to Just Stories with BT, a show that brings you remarkable stories of success, comedy, failure, and redemption directly from the people who've shaped the landscape of our professional worlds. You'll laugh, you might cry, but most importantly, you'll be motivated to keep pushing to become a better version of you. Just Stories skips the cheesy 10-step processes and long acronyms and gives you just what you want. Stories that truly matter and will impact your life. Meet your host, Brett Thornton, a father, retailer, speaker, motivator, and lover of storytelling. Your transformational listening starts now. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Just Stories with BT. We are live in season three, which means we are highlighting amazing authors and really allowing you, the listeners and the viewers, to get to know these authors kind of for who they are as people, not just the the words they put down on pages. And I'm really excited this week because I have an amazing guest, Ron Thurston, who is the author of Retail Pride. And that would be you'd be an awesome guest regardless but being that i'm someone who's been in retail for the last you know 15 years of my life you know in some form or fashion retail has always been a passion of mine and i and i love your tagline of like you know what you believe about retail which we'll get into a lot so thank you so much for joining the show thank you i'm so happy to be here brad from our fellow you and i share our hometown together Yes. I'm in Sacramento today at my um, my brother's house, so I have a different view than my normal New York City um, apartment view. Um, you mean today. the, the but view? Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, you mean the view from Sacramento is not like New York City? Tell me, it's different. It's you know not 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 exactly. Awesome, beautiful. So city. I am going to for everyone who doesn't know Ron, I'm going to introduce you and uh, let the let the audience know get to know you in about 60 seconds okay so i'm gonna miss a ton of things but i'm gonna do my best to get this overarching view of who who ron is and then afterwards you tell me what i missed and what we have to add in there sound good great great awesome all right here we go here is ron thurston in like 60 seconds all right Okay, so Ron grew up in Northern California. He actually grew up in South Lake Tahoe, which is one of like my favorite places in the entire planet. We're going to come back and talk about that. Uh, What's great about Tahoe is you can ski all winter and then you can hang out on the beach in Tahoe in the summer. Um, As a kid, he told me he had two hobbies that made him very popular or unpopular, as he said, uh, which was he used to folk dance with his grandparents and he was... um, (laughs) And he became an oil painter. So he did a lot of oil paintings, which is awesome. Uh, His first job was as a sales associate at Macy's. And I love your story around the suit. I'm going to come back to that. Um, And as he got older, he went into college. He went to FITM, which is the Fashion Institute of Design. And then two years later, in LA, had a degree in fashion. Um, And you got your start, actually, as a pattern maker and then became a designer. But then from there, you actually wound it back and ended up in retail where you have had this amazing 30-year career. So along the way, he was a district manager at West Elm. He was head of, uh, he was a market leader at Apple. He was head of stores at Tory Birch, then head of stores at Bonobos, then head of stores at St. Laurent, and then eventually VP of stores at Intermix, where he was up until recently. In 2020, he wrote the best-selling book, Retail Pride, which we are here to talk about. And then this year in 2021, he launched Take Pride Today as a founder, which is a, a, an organization where he does training programs, speaking, consulting, all based around the retail world. 
Along the way, he met his amazing husband, Roy, who told him in the very beginning uh, he didn't want any kids or plants. And Ron said he fell in love right away, which is amazing. And in 2022, <laughs> January, they are going to take off start. on a retail road trip in an Airstream around the, around the whole country for an entire year. So you'll be leaving New York City, cruising around, which I want to talk about as well. So that is Ron in 60 seconds. How'd I do? You did awesome, awesome. So what? <laughs> there's a so lot. What did of, I know, miss? I'm, I'm, I'm fifty. I'm fifty-seven. So you know, there's a there's a whole lot of years in there uh, yes. that that make up that that career. Um, you know, I think what what is sometimes missed um, is this idea from from my own point of view is I knew I wanted to be in this industry in some in, in fashion specifically somehow and i think that's every you know kind of young boy's dream sometime is oh i want to be i want to work in fashion and but i didn't say i want to only be a designer like i wanted to learn did i want to be a buyer did i want to be a designer did i want to be a retailer did i want to be a merchant like what what part of the industry do i want to learn and so i i purposefully set out and said i'm going to get a degree in retail leadership and i'm going to get a degree in fashion design and I'm going to let this navigate wherever it is I want to go because I wanted to actually have expertise in, in multiple layers of, of the industry, which is really unusual. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to, to be a retail leader and understand kind of product design, like fabrication, pattern making, manufacturing, to understand that side of the business actually really helps you on the retail side. Okay. You're smarter about how the business works because you've been on both ends. And mm -hmm. I did, I, I thought, you know, I'm gonna be a designer. I was California menswear designer of the year nominee. Like I was like, I'm, I'm gonna do this. And I just love the retail side. I couldn't, I started it as a first job, as you mentioned, and I couldn't get away from it. Mm -hmm. And I had a friend who said, oh, you know, I took this kind of training program, um, at Macy's again, which I'm like, that's interesting. But then I ended up at Gap Kids and as an assistant store manager after having some really good success. And the idea of kind of starting over and saying, I'm going to, I'm going to be, um, I'm going to fall in love with this side of the industry and mm -hmm. let it kind of take me along was where I spent the last 30 years and with really great brands. And I'm just, I'm really um, humbled by some of the, the opportunities that I've had. That's awesome. Yeah. I think that knowing multiple sides of the business is something that's very underrated, you know, because as a, to, to become a really good buyer, you actually need to understand what's happening on the sales floor. You know, like to become a really good sales manager, you got to understand where the product comes from development, all this stuff, you know, uh, and, and unfortunately, there's not a lot of people who have that experience. You know, I, I look at, I had a, an amazing three years when I was at this company called Living Spaces because I had always been in retail and retail leadership and training and sales and all that. And then when I came to Living Spaces, I had an opportunity to become the buyer, right? And the manufacturer and import goods and design products. And it was like this dump of information. I was like, oh my God, I wish I knew this 10 years ago when I was trying yeah. to manage stores and manage people. I didn't understand the logistics of how hard it is to get a product from India to here, to here, to here, and why there's delays. All I know on the sales floor is where's my product, you know? Correct. And so obviously coming from design, it's gotta be the same thing, right? 
It's it's a huge part of it. And, you know, and I, as you had mentioned, had the opportunity to run Saint Laurent for North and South America, which is for me, one of the most important iconic fashion brands in history. And so you think about kind of Yves Saint Laurent and the 60s and these, these powerhouse designers who were starting to build their own brands. They were formerly creative directors for other brands. And Yves Saint Laurent was a creative director um, for Dior. And, and so like the idea of um, how do you create your own kind of brand, but then what he did and how he did it uh, I wanted to learn everything. You know, I spent a lot of time in Paris and you know, wh where did he live? How did he, you know, Pierre Bourget was his partner and where did they live? How, where was that first store? It was like, it opened the first store in 1969 in the left bank of Paris. Like, where was that store? Like, I wanted to like immerse myself and to understand the importance of all the references, all the, all the color, all the pattern you know, the print, because that be, you make a, you become a better salesperson when you understand the story behind the fact that this is incredibly expensive product. Mm -hmm. And if you can tell a story about why, where it came from, what was the inspiration, why it's that like certain details were so important to the house, the customer loves those. And then they're like, they, the customer story tells. So I actually think it's our responsibility as leaders um, for any brand to know it from inception to the minute you're standing in front of the customer. You have to be able to tell that story in a way that's really um, in, engaging because mm -hmm. then, then they're all in. Like I can tell you exactly, you know, on a, on a $5,000 Saint Laurent leather jacket, why is it $5,000? And I can tell you why. And, yeah. so the, and so it makes actually a lot it, it adds a lot of value to your retail experience when you put the effort to learn what's going on behind the scenes. I'm, I, yeah. I can't talk about it enough. Oh, 100%. So, yeah. so before we get into to your stories and get to know you a little bit, I did want to go back to the, to the beginning. So, so young Ron, you're growing up, South Lake Tahoe. So tell me about the folk dancing. How do you even, how does that even <laughs> become a thing? I, my grandparents were like, I just had this hobby of folk dancing and you know, it's as like corny as as you imagine it to be. But I love like small community, uh, like idea, which is kind of what we'll talk about for 2022. I love this idea that people have similar interest in something that builds lifelong friendships and lifelong relevance to their, their life. And so they started taking, I have two younger brothers, one of whom I'm in his house. The other one I had a Zoom this morning. He's he's in um, in Nevada, like by Tahoe still. And it, you know the whole place is on fire this week. Yeah. So he was supposed to come down and like and see me today, but I had two younger brothers and we would go folk dancing with my grandparents. And my next younger brother and I actually were pretty good at it. And so then we went on this performing tour and we would like we'd make our costumes and it, it was. Yeah, it may be really unpopular, really unpopular because you know, it it's, not like, some, it's not like cool Ron, like, you know. <laughs> that's funny. It sounds like, did you ever see those, any of those Christopher Sorry, Jeff yeah. movies like Best in Show or any of those? It sounds like it could be an awesome movie like that. I, yeah, they could just I follow the Thurston's around like touring, doing folk dancing. <laughs> How long did you live in Tahoe? 
Yeah, we lived in Tahoe until I was um, in like early high school years. Um, but funny enough, my parents met in Tahoe. Both of both of sides of my family had um, on my dad's side kind of vacation home, but my mom's side they full time live in Tahoe. And I tell the story a little bit in my book. My grandfather uh, was the, the the contractor. Uh, that built like the first firehouse, the first schoolhouses, the first grocery stores, um, some of the original custom homes in South Lake Tahoe. That was my grandfather. Oh, and wow. so like there's this iconic um, kind of foundation. And then my parents met, both met in Tahoe on both sides of these fam this family. And he ended up building most of the Safeway stores on the West Coast. So he built this large construction company that kind of started in Tahoe, which is why we ended up in Sacramento because the corporate office for, for Safeway is here in Sacramento. And so like he needed to be here and his business expanded and be a very large construction company that I was, um, you know, as the oldest grandson, I think at some point it was like, you know, Ron's gonna take over the business. He's gonna become the president of Barrow Construction. And I was like, yeah, no, that's not that's not going to be my gig. Um, but I love you, and I want to learn from you. His his leadership style was in, was what I really emulated to this day. He had kind of a, a humble, um, you know, talk about empathy, curiosity, uh, these leadership traits that, that always made him incredibly human as a leader of a large organization. And so, like I, I very much credit him for that, growing up around him, watching him lead, traveling to construction sites. You know, it's like a store visit. For me, like going to a construction site and there's 200 guys and me traveling the world, visiting stores, I'd look at it similarly. Like, well, who did the work? I, you know, what, what is your story? Why are you here? And you know, I, I give my grandfather a lot of credit for that. Even though he taught me folk dancing, and again, you know, I, credit him for many other very positive uh, parts of my life and, and how I lead today. That's awesome. I love that story. And I think that, you know, at the end of the day, the takeaway for me is I really resonate that with that because my dad and mom and really no one in my family is in sales. They all do. You know, my dad was an elementary principal. My mom was a graphic artist. He worked for the highway patrol. And so apparently I'm just like my grandfather who ran a car dealership in the fifties, but he passed away, unfortunately, when, when um, my mom was young. So they're always like, where did you get this sales stuff from? And I always said, you know what, at the end of the day, maybe I didn't get my sales, you know, like that need to sell or to talk to everybody from anyone in my family, but I did watch the way that, you know, my parents dealt with people. I watched the way they interacted. I watched the way people respected my dad for his, the way he communicated super gently. And he was always very positive as a teacher because he had these, all these teachers and, you know, that he had to kind of manage and he did it through such a really cool way that I did just like you, I pulled that into sales, you know, even though it was nothing like sales, you know? Um, yeah. And I'm sure you, you know, having written this book and that's what I want to parlay into now is you had so much experience, 30 years of retail. So what was the thing that, that kind of like said, you know what, I need to turn this into a book? Uh, so, I, so I had some kind of 2019 like epiphanies of like, you know, what, what becomes your legacy at, you know, at a certain point in your career? You know, so at 55, you know, been doing this for a long time. I, I, I worked for an incredible company. Um, and, uh, you know, it was all good, 
but I just had this moment of like, I, I want to do more than lead the, the team that's currently under, underneath me. I want to talk more about retail. And it was really because it was so very common for people to sit down in front of me for an interview, a new store opening, any, any component, any part of the industry and say, you know what, I'm kind of in this accidentally. I fell into it. I love it. But um, they don't get the credit for it. And it was a really kind of common story that I heard over the years, but it started to like just peak for me. I'm like, because it's almost as if there was so much shame built into working in retail, you know, you, and you don't say that word outwardly, you know, that you're ashamed to work in retail, but the, uh, but the underlying language often, that's what it had, how it showed up. And I just said, I have to change this. I have to build a platform and have a conversation that is about empowering people who may or may not have any kind of education, may not have um, chosen this as their career, may not have um, intended to work nights and weekends for their life, but they're doing it and they really love it. And they need to be okay to say that I love it because that was also my story of like, hey, Ron, like, what do you do? Oh, you know, I, I work in retail, you know, and then the, the response was usually like, oh, like, that's cool. And like, you know, the, the title warrant um, the, re the same reaction. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to change that conversation. So I said, I, the best way that I know how to do this is to write a book about it. And the book I wanna write is for not how to change the industry. Um, and not how to run a retail business. I could write a book about that, but I actually was much more interested in writing a book that celebrated the people doing the work in stores. And when you really start uncovering the, the truth about the size of the industry, that's, what, that's the story that doesn't get told, that it is the biggest private sector employer in this country. And in most countries, you know, top three. It employs one out of four people in this country work in retail. And like the idea of how to give them a voice, like a language, some words to uh, use for their, this was exactly what I wanted to do. And so th like, that's where it began. And I always had this kind of avatar in my head of like, well, who is this? Who am I talking to in this book? Who is this person? And like, why? what would motivate them to pick this book up? And it was always this kind of probably like an assistant manager, store manager in a low volume store. For some reason she was female and you know, working in a, like a, a mall in the middle of this country. And all of her friends are like, what are you doing? Like, why do you work at the mall? Because it was me, like as a young person, like working at the mall for Gap, I was so happy and I, couldn't express to everyone enough how much I love serving my team, serving my customer, building a brand, being trained and motivated and inspired. I was so happy. And I wanted to just give that back. So mm -hmm. the, the response has been um, kind of exactly what I was hoping. The messages I receive are the most encouraging are the ones who are exactly that. Store manager, assistant manager, key holders, 
Uh, you know, some DMs are like, I wish this book had been written 20 years ago. I wish yeah. that there was someone that had told me that this was okay. And because that's the, the foundation of pride is really like celebrating who you are and being proud of what you do. And retail doesn't always get that credit. The store team, I should say the store teams, because yeah. there are great other parts of, you know, and I've had such luck in my career um, leading brands. And those jobs always sound like they're interesting and the titles sound more interesting, you know, that you're vice president of stores. Sure, that sounds great. My love is, is being in stores with teams, being on the sales floor. That's where I want to spend my time. Nice. Yeah, I love that. Um, and I've seen, you know, especially on LinkedIn, so much buzz around the book and so many great comments. And, you know, you post something and you get all this traction because I think what you're saying, you know, not only is it true, but I think it really gets people deep because as you said, if one in four people are working retail, just 25% of the world, the US at some point, you know, work retail and understands that idea of not feeling respected for what you're doing, yeah. maybe from your peers, not, not people not understanding outside of retail, how it works and like, whoa, I got promoted to the manager or an area manager or a district manager. And it's this huge thing because you were against every other person and you got this job, but from the outside looking yeah. in, it's like, oh, you work for a mattress store or you work at, you know, the mall right. or whatever, but internally you feel great. And that's a really weird thing to feel great here but then have people on the outside look at it like it's not a great thing or you didn't do a lot of work or it's, it's not valiant. Whereas they could be working for Google as some tech analytic making 50 grand a year. And they're like, I work for Google. You know, like it's some great thing. No knock on Google right. as an example, but you know, versus the right. person who worked 20 years and outperformed everybody and is now, you know, this, this general manager. And they're so excited of where they are and their accomplishments, but it's only looked at within the organization generally as, a big accomplishment, which is so unfair, right. really. It's it's unfair because the the complexity of a well-run retail business, and I also kind of strip, I strip out all of like what you sell and the price that it is, because I don't really care. You know, it's what's fashion, non-fashion, you know, mattresses or leather jackets, it doesn't matter because your commitment to running a complex profitable, successful, you know, group of people, a business and a group of people is re requires a, such a wide range of skills. And that's where the credit doesn't happen. So when one of those people would sit down in front of me and they would kind of have this like attitude of, you know, yeah, because I was like, kind of tell, tell me your story. It's like what you're doing with me. Well, you know, I sort of ended this by accident and I, you know, I moved here and I like had this job. I'm like, okay, let's stop because I want, to, I want to teach you how to tell your story because you have run for the last 10 years, multi-million dollar businesses. You have, you're an expert at working on a team, on visual merchandising, on product knowledge, on loss prevention, on store operations, on cash management, on HR. I mean, the last 18 months, anyone who works in retail, you're an HR expert now, yeah. sorry, but you are. And motivation like all of the list of skills that that are required for anyone to be a store manager of any product category of any volume is highly complex and should be celebrated and we don't position ourselves that way 
you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm a store manager, it does a million dollars, you know, in, in mall X. And I, I just think there has to be language to say, I am running a multi-million dollar business and here's what I do and here's how I lead. And if we did a little bit more of that, we wouldn't be so, um, you know, kind of bash on retail all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the news doesn't help because the news is this constant negative story that's talked about because the first thing even people say to me, wasn't retail dying? You know, like I get it all the time from outsiders. Mm -hmm. So I think the news paints this picture that we've become irrelevant. Yeah. And so like, I'm the first one to jump back in and say, actually the largest part, you know, 70% of all commerce in this country is done in a brick and mortar store. Yeah. And so don't let the news fool you. Yeah. Is the growth higher on the e-com side? Definitely. But is the relevance and importance of the brick and mortar business more important than it's ever been? Absolutely. And that's where the message, I like to talk about it because the message needs to be heard. Yeah. No, I love it. It's music to my ears, obviously, you know, because I, I firmly believe that. And I had a, I had a LinkedIn poll a couple of weeks ago. I think you commented on where I asked that about is, you know, yeah. LinkedIn is, is brick and mortar dead? Is it coming back or whatever? And I mean, that thing had over 10,000 views and, and, and hundreds and hundreds of votes. And at the end of the day, I mean, mo more people than not still felt retail was coming back and it was actually going to be even stronger, you know? And so, and these are people from all different industries. You have, you have the people who thought it was just dead. But I, my guess would be is those people aren't involved because what I'm seeing Correct. from myself, they, they, my peers- They hear the news. Yeah, they hear the news, you know, and, and my friends and my peers in the industries, everyone's saying the same thing, which is, you know, people who had money pre-pandemic, most of them made more money and they've spent more money. And so ticket averages are up, you know? So if you've maximized your experience and you've created a reason for someone to get off the couch and off the computer and come in, then you have a chance to be really successful. You know, I think that yeah. what the pandemic did for a lot of retail was that outdated, boring retail that was already on its way out, it just sped the process. And that is what yeah. it is. You know, I think those brands that went out of business during the last year or two were probably geared towards that anyways. You know, and so yeah. if you hadn't put money on e-com and you hadn't put money on being omni-channel, that's your bad because you, you know, you could have, should have seen that coming the last five, 10 years, you know? And so yep. that is what it is. And there is some of that, but you got to assume are all those retail spots just going away or are new breeds of brands going to come and backfill? And I'm hoping that it's more unique brands that come in, not as, not the huge brands, but it's more of these small yep. upstarts that have a vision, have a, you know, a point of view are more sustainable or more like all these things that I think the younger generation value. I think that's, what's going to be in these young brands that kind of kick back in and fill the gaps. I, I agree. And it couldn't be, you know, shorter term leases and pop-up businesses. And like this kind of idea of working in this industry that you, you know, kind of a gig economy retail teams, you know, that, mm -hmm. that trend is beginning, you know, of like I'm an expert, I'm a great salesperson you know, you could propose yourself as that. And I love this brand and this brand and this brand and this brand. And I want to work at all of them. And so you build, you know, infrastructure and, and um, kind of apps and different ideas of like, how do you capitalize on the best talent in the industry in a city? And, and so it's filled of exactly everything you described, Brett, but on top of that, exceptional people yeah. all the 
time. And you can do that in different ways. And I think we also have to think differently about how we've hired in this industry, how we train, how we staff, how we find great people. All of that also has to be upset yeah. because that has was broken well before the pandemic. Yeah. Absolutely. Those are things. And those are things I'm really involved with today because that has to be, that has to change. Yeah. So tell us, you know, what, you know, I always love to ask a few different kind of background stories, you know, get to know you a little bit. And with all these years of experience, you know, what, what is like one or two of your favorite stories from an entertaining or funny standpoint of something that happened, you know, from a retail perspective that you love to tell? Uh, I mean, I, the, the number of store openings that I've done in my career, early Tory Burch years. So this like 2010, 11, 12, you know, Tory Burch was started to really take off join the organization to grow the West Coast. And so right away, like Hawaii became the number one market for the company. And this was before a lot of international expansion. There was a big uh, Asian following, a lot of tourism, a lot of like non-access to the brand yet. And so we had a store in Alamoana and I was opening a store at Royal Hawaiian on right on Kalakaua Avenue, like two stories. We'd done tours. We had actually gone there with and looked at the space and so great it's opening well things don't really move along at the speed in new york speed you know in, yeah. in hawaii when you're opening a new store and it was going to open on black friday and i has was i hired like a hundred people to work in the store it was a big like off-site stock rooms and um, concierge services and like full-blown biggest volume store in the world biggest team, best trained team, had a market manager just for Hawaii. And the closer we get to Black Friday, like no, definitely no occupancy certificates. <laughs> you know, the store is definitely not gonna be finished, uh, all of that. And I'm like, and on top of it, we've ever opened a store in Hawaii, before you do that, you have to have a, a blessing ceremony because the islands are burial grounds. So you really, you, there's a lot of effort put into blessing a business before it opens with, you know, a kind of a, a conversion of a priest like this. And so, you know, here are, here's me. I've been in Hawaii for probably a month at this point. And so the store opened on Black Friday with a two-story plywood barricade on the front of it that we had painted navy blue. So there was no store and a giant logo on the front of it. And I have pictures of it to this day. And so we're all in front of the store of the giant two-story plywood barricade with these shamans and hula dancers and the whole store team. And we're having a blessing ceremony and there are like 500 people in line to get in yeah. all down Kalakaua Avenue. And I'm like, this is insanity. And we, I think we're probably there till one o'clock in the morning. I can't even even tell you the amount of revenue that we did and it just we did it again the next day and we did it again the next day and we made it happen but I love <laughs> the reason I tell that story is because we figure it out in this business you know what wow. it's Black Friday I'm not going to not open so what do we need to do we need to find a different path to, to success we're not going to disappoint these customers we're not going to change the direction let's just go for it and have fun and it was, it was a wild time. I'm still in contact with some of those people. And oh, that's awesome. It, it's just the entrepreneurial spirit of this industry is, it, it's unshakable yeah. in every step of the way. 
Yeah, I, uh, I couldn't agree more. You know, I think I'm sure not as many as yours, but I've definitely, you know, been a part of hundreds of store openings, you know, in my career. And, and at the end of the day, the bottom line is they've all opened, <laughs> you know, rain, rain or shine, like ready or not, like, they, you know, they open. And yeah, there's always so much madness behind the scenes, but the people, to your point, the team is taking so much pride because it's their store. You know, yep. that manager or GM or V, like whoever is directly remote, it's like, this is their thing. And so they truly have this passion for it. You know, I've always, I've always, you know, it's funny because if you're not in retail, you don't understand when, when you see on LinkedIn, someone posts a picture of the new store and everyone's standing out front and you cut the ribbon. And I, I can, I know for a fact, I've had people be like, that's so cheesy. That's so dumb. It's a furniture store or it's a new blah, blah, blah. But they don't get that. It's like, it's more about for the team. It's, it's more about celebrating that, Hey, all that work paid off. Here we go. And you get whatever mayor is in town you know, to come by yep. and grant the spot. But it's like, it's for the team because yep. they're the ones who put the work in and they're the ones that get to then share in that excitement of finally being open, you know? And so yep. from the outside looking in, I think it has such a different view than it really does when you're the one on the retail show floor. I agree. I mean, that's where you think about pride of, you know, so this kind of journey, if you're opening a new store, you're, you're doing a lot of kind of grassroots marketing, you're interviewing, you're selling the brand, you're pitching this kind of ideal of what you're creating, you hire these people, you unload trucks together, you do in weeks potentially of setup and construction. And that you're right that I've done a lot of those ribbon cuttings too. And I never thought of it as cheesy because it's exactly what it is. It's like, let's hug it out. Let's cut the ribbon. Let's have some champagne and let's have fun. And the, the winning recipient of that is the customer because you walk into a building that has just gone through this experience together. We've shared this pride. The customer is going to win because talk about engagement and, and then the real work begins. And, and I think that we've all experienced that. Like, yeah. The hard part's not open to the store. Yeah, I'm exhausted. I worked a week of 18 hour days, but the real work begins usually about a week after the store opens, because at that point, either all the, all the, you know, HR and all the things that are messier really start, yeah. start happening. And that's where as leaders, we have to really step in. It's not just the fun moments, but we actually have to step in when it's hard. Yeah. Uh, so that's where the, the pride starts to end when you don't do the hard work. Yeah. So I love that. And, and tell me, you know, with all that, all those years of experience, you know, 30 years in retail, you know, what, what's, what was a struggle or a failure that, that happened when you were a leader and, you know, how did you get through it and what advice could you give to, you know, younger, not in terms of age, but younger leaders in retail um, that may be yeah. facing something similar. Mm. So I, th I would just pick up where I just left off of the hardest thing you have to do is have difficult conversations with people, either that are about ending their employment, um, you know, put conversations that potentially end a career, um, the, the most difficult coaching conversations, don't run away from it and don't run away from managing poor performance because it's, I think our industry is built and I propose myself as this, of a lot of energy and a lot of fun and a lot of high fives. And we love it when it's fun. 
we actually struggle when it's not fun because we don't know what to do because we're so good on the floor creating positive energy. And so don't be the manager who is afraid to have the difficult conversation about attendance, performance, sales performance, and, and to learn how to provide the resources that people need to really do well in their careers. And teams that are the most successful are led by people who are not afraid of having difficult conversations because great people really wanna work with others on great teams. And unmanaged poor performance drags the entire team down. Everyone sees it. Everyone knows that person's got to pass. And that infiltrates morale and pride in a really negative way. Mm-hmm. And even when it's hard for you to have the tough conversation, don't be afraid of it because it's not just that person in that moment. The fact that you did it positively impacts the entire team and your business. And so you know, the, the examples you know, of that are, are pretty endless, but it's when I was kind of surveying this idea of my second book, one of the topics is managing difficult performance. Mm-hmm. No one likes to do it, no. but you know, no one wants to be the bad guy. But I really think of this in terms of you will be the most highly regarded leader if you are both highly motivating and hold people highly accountable. I believe that to be very true. And you, you can have one, you can be highly motivating temporarily because you don't, you will never have a team that's highly engaged every single day of the week. It doesn't have things go wrong. And, but you can be highly motivating and hold people accountable and get them back on track or get them out. And that is, that for me is a recipe to success um, that will never change. Never. Yeah. No, I agree with that wholeheartedly. You know, I think um, I can remember there's actually twice in my career where I had to let go of the absolute top performer, the top mm-hmm. person. But one of the reasons that was making them top was that they weren't, you know, being fully honest. They were, you know, working around the system, you know, different things, but they were the top performer. And the funny thing is, is both times the entire market's performance r- rose when that person was terminated because it sent a message to everybody that no, actually, this is the way things are done. This is how we do it. We're honest here. We're going to do things the right way. And that's how we do it. And it showed them that actually like we had the true belief that that was the right way, you know, and that numbers didn't matter. And that everyone worked harder at that point because they were doing it the right way and they get frustrated, you know, to your point, you know, I think, you know, not having accountability kills the morale, kills the, you know, that overall camaraderie when people start getting like, oh, he said, she said, combative. Because, you know, one thing we know about big retail, especially is you get 20, 30, 40 people to work in one place every day for, there's always kind of drama, you know, that's retail. So becoming a, a, a leader is, is part, you know, managing all the KPIs and the job, but a lot of it is almost like a counselor of just getting everybody to, to mesh together, you know? It, it is. And that, that is a learned skill. I think to, to not just be, you know, the coach of the team to win, but the coach of the team that's not winning, that is something that you actually have to practice. And, yeah. and when you can share examples of how you did it, how you moved an organization forward by solving exactly like what you described, Brett, 
then, you know, but the next person that has to do it um, will have learned of like, yeah, that really made a big difference. So the people working on that team experience it and see you do it. And then when they're in a leadership role, they'll model that behavior and instead of just letting everything slide. Um, and it, I mean, I definitely had tough lessons to learn. I, I remember terminating an employee at, when I was leading Apple, who then with all of her customers staged a protest in front of my store with signs and everything. And oh just about like, why did you fire her? I mean, it was, it was pretty awful. It was, you know, and, but it's like, you know what, I did the right thing. I'm confident that I did the right thing. I'm very apologetic that you um, are angry at the company and at me, but this was the right decision on, on our part. And yeah, did I lose a lot of customers? I did, but I gained a team exactly as you described that, that was then ready to work because that problem was, no one had ever, no, they were so afraid of this employee. All the other managers for years were so afraid of her that they never did anything about it. And the team knew, and they were like, oh yeah, that's just her, that's just how she is. Um, but that's, that is, don't ever shy away from those conversations. Yeah. Because you will always, you win for your team. Absolutely, that's great advice. So last two questions for you. So first off, um, tell us about, you know, being the founder of Take Pride Today and kind of what that's all, just give us the 10,000 foot view, you know, um, on yeah. what, what that does and what it is. Evolve over time, we kind of just launched the last couple of months, but there's a there's an enormous opportunity for us to rally around this idea of taking pride today in what we do in retail. And I say, I, I use those words very intentionally that we take, you know, you kind of take ownership of this, take your power, take what you, um, want to own today. And again, like retail is often, you know, it's this long game, short game combo. Like you want to win today, but I also know I need the month and the year and the quarter. And there's a lot of multiple variables, but I say take pride today in what you want to win at and how you want to do it. How do you want to show up? How do you um, want to have that conversation? I'm going to take pride today in the fact that I addressed this difficult situation. I take pride today in the fact that I am going to be the best selling Saturday that we've ever had. And here's why. So I, I like this kind of ownership and action rooted in pride. Uh, and so it will become kind of a training platform for me. It's a conversation starter, um, product line. That there'll be some things that are really wrapped around this idea of how we show up. And pride is an interesting word. It's a controversial word for people mm -hmm. and it was not my original working title and so the idea here of really embracing this word and what it means and, and how we show up and the conversations that we have uh, for me is a really important um, language to use mm -hmm. uh, and so that's the, the, the it's become really more of, of a platform for what I'm doing and what the future looks like that's awesome and as, as an author, and like you mentioned, the, you know, ideas already for the second book, but you have had this really successful first book, you know, and so what, what advice would you give, you know, people that may be sitting there on this idea, you know, like, I know I've had ideas, everyone always seems to have an idea in their head of like, ah, oh, this would make a great book, but it's just, it's the very few who actually do it, you know, like, what advice would you give someone who's sitting on, you know, maybe a lot of experience like you had or whatever, and like, but they just don't know how to pull the trigger. Yeah, 
So I'll plug uh, Scribe Media here for a moment because that's how I got it done. And so I was similar, I was the vice president of stores. I'm a busy guy. I'm like, I wanna do this, but I don't know how, I don't even know where to start. I'm an unknown author, like pitching to a publisher. Like just, I don't even know where to start. But subscribe has this kind of guided author program that helps you write it, helps you edit, helps you get it you know, on, on bookshelves. And it was exactly the right program for me to say, you know, here's the, here are a group of many other people doing the exact same thing. Here are weekly accountability calls that I needed. Here's a peer group. We have a very active WhatsApp group two years later still of all of these authors. Uh, here are the resources that you need. Here are some marketing ideas. Um, and so the, having, a, having this kind of infrastructure built in to help me do it really um, helped me move it forward. And then from there, it's like, okay, now I understand how it works. You know, book two may not be exactly the same journey, but I needed someone to say, okay, Ron, every day you need to write 250 words and you need, this is kind of how you do it. And this is, this is the step-by-step -step process. Um, and subscribe for me has been exactly what I needed um, as a busy professional at the time. That's awesome. And so that's a good way to get it going. Now, what, what right now, if people want to reach out, they want to read the book, they want to, you know, potentially work with you. What's the best way for people to get in contact with you? Yeah, the best way is retailpride.com. Uh, and so on there, you can text me directly through the website, all the links to buy the book are there. Um, I'm going to start doing some live streaming from the site, Ron Live. Um, like former podcasts, like you've generously asked me to be on, um, speaking engagements, everything is on reachupride.com. So I would love uh, join, subscribe, um, or, or text me directly. That's awesome. I love to hear stories. I mean, I, I am I am that guy who replies to all my LinkedIn messages. I am that guy that does re reply to all those texts because I want to hear your story. I want to know how you may be showing up differently based on this conversation yeah. and, and, and taking pride in the, the legacy you've created, the career that you've had, the people that you've led, the, the customer experiences. Those are my favorite stories of like mm -hmm. the things that retail teams do for their customer and their community. That is like my, you know, what, what gets me going, what, what I take pride in. That's awesome. All right. So last, last thing. Okay. Here's your, here's your, your chance at a sales pitch, Ron. Are you ready? I'm ready. Uh, so I want you to make a statement. Okay. So imagine that that girl you're talking about, right? So she's, you know, maybe just got promoted to the assistant manager of this big retailer in the mall in the Midwest. She went to college, you know, her siblings are all doing other things that their parents might be considered, you know, more, um, career worthy or whatever it is, you know, but here's this person who's got this great trajectory, sky's the limit. She's super talented. She loves her job. You know, like what's your pitch to her? How do you keep her motivated and understanding that what she's doing is awesome? Mm. So I would highly encourage her early on to choose great brands to work for that are also going to be as good to you as you are to them. And there are incredible retail brands 
who are highly invested in training and, and moving your career forward and getting you to that next step. And there are brands that aren't, that don't have the leadership infrastructure to do that. And if you're really talented and love working in retail, it's also taking your power back and saying, this is not about me just finding the next job. This is about me choosing the brand to work for that I know has a great reputation, that is well-led, highly respected, and I'm going to join your team because I want to be here, not because I can. And that, the, and I expect that same in return. And we have not, not put enough effort in that conversation of career management in retail leaders. Mm -hmm. We are the first one to just take the job because someone offered it to us. And then we settle of that we didn't get trained, we didn't get promoted, we didn't get these things. We have to stop settling and raise the bar for all of the retailers out there that are not investing in their people. Um, we, have to, we, have, we have to do better in many cases. And that's what I would tell that person to do, like own your own career and be intentional about it. I love it. I love that. It's amazing advice. Um, and I couldn't agree more with you, you know, and I think that, you know, now more than ever, thankfully, um, you can do a lot of research. You know, it was, I think, a right. lot harder 10, 15, 20 years ago. But now with social media, with LinkedIn, with, you know, Glassdoor, it's not very difficult to figure out like, hey, which places are great and which ones aren't, you know. And, you know, I saw this post the other day that I love, you know, this lady talked about how she went to this interview and because middle management is the hardest person to find right now. It's very hard to find middle management. And when you do, it's like, you got to try to do anything you can to keep that person and make them happy. And people are paying the most they've ever paid. And, and it's great. But this person said they went to an interview and at the end, because it's so competitive and this employer knew that, that she was looking at multiple things, you know, they always ask for the references. He actually provided her with three references and said, here's three previous managers that used to work for me. And they've said that if anyone ever reaches out, they'll talk about the experience. And I love that. I loved it. And I'm like, I'm doing that. I'm going to reach out to some people who used to work for me now in the future. And anytime I'm interviewed, I'm going to be like, hey, reach out to these people because, you know, to your point, you know, all of us want to, you know, we don't want to live to work. We want to work to live. And at the end of the day, retail is a great place to do it. We work long hours, weekends, holidays. These, we make these sacrifices, but there's these other great rewards, you know? And so being able to share that with someone and tell them, hey, this is the, all the things that we think you can get here and get out of this job. I think that puts you in a whole different bracket. So that's, that's awesome advice. I totally align with it. Um, and last but not least, you know, obviously I need to read this book. So I can guarantee in my entire team. So I'm going to work with you after this. I'm going to put an order in for our whole team. Uh, and then maybe we'll do some kind of awesome call with Ron or, or maybe we'll, we, maybe we'll be scheduled on your pit stop on your world tour. We'll, or both. We can do it all. We can yes. do it all. There's so much, there's so much great retail to talk about all day. Yep. So I love it. Awesome. Him. Well, thanks, Ron. I Thank appreciate you. you coming on. I know you're busy, so it's awesome. And uh, we'll Thank talk you. soon. Great. Thanks, Brett.